If you want to play a character who is about as strong a healer as you can possibly be, but still be able to pump out about as much damage as a dedicated damage dealer, then you're going to enjoy this particular Pathfinder character build. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for our favorite TTRPGs. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a certain character, but to explore one potential way to build a character with the hopes of creating something that is both really powerful, but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas for a character that you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I am so glad you're here. So thanks for being here. My name's Colby. Right, let's just jump right in. One of the first things I did as soon as I got the core rulebook for Pathfinder 2e was to start looking through the class list and to try to figure out, okay, which class is going to make the best gish? Because I love gishes, as you all know. Alas, I seemed to discover, there's not really a class in the core rulebook that makes a good gish. A character who can be focused on both making weapon attacks and casting spells in combat to damage their enemies. Lame. And so I started to ask around and discovered that yes, the magus is what I was really looking for if I wanted to play a gish in Pathfinder 2e. That's what everybody told me. And so, a few weeks ago, I did my first ever spellsword gish build for Pathfinder, the Laughing Shadow Magus. Magus, sorry. It was a lot of fun, and I'm playing a version of that character right now in the Rules Lawyers campaign with uh, Blaine Simple, Mr. X, Monkey DM, and the DM Slayer. It's awesome. But there are a few things that I've learned over the last few weeks about Pathfinder that just might contradict that initial there are no good spell swords in the core rulebook assumption. First, the multi-attack penalty in Pathfinder 2e really sucks. So far, all of my builds have done their utmost to mitigate that penalty you suffer from making multiple attacks on your turn, right? Including the ninja monk, the thief rogue, uh-oh, here we go, and the flirty ranger, and I'm now out of cards. <laughs> The Magus doesn't count there because they were only making one attack per turn and thus not suffering that multi-attack penalty, right? The best ways to do the most sustainable damage per round in Pathfinder 2e seem to be trying to reduce that multi-attack penalty as best you can. The other thing I've realized is that while spells that require you to make a spell attack roll do count towards your multi-attack penalty, spells that require the enemy to make a saving throw very importantly, do not. And so, I began to think, maybe if we could find a character who could take advantage of effective damage spells that require saving throws, and had some nice built-in ways to be an effective weapon damage dealer, we might be able to make ourselves a half-decent gish right out of the core rulebook. Enter the War Priest. I think it's safe to say that of all the classes available in the core rulebook, the cleric just might fit the above mold the best. They get more hit points than most full spellcasting classes and get, I believe, easier access to and better training with weapons and armor. To me, they are the frontrunner for best gish out of the core rulebook, though 
I'd love to hear your arguments for who you might think would be even better in the comments section below. And so today, we're going to make ourselves a cleric gish. A cleric who is built to put out as much sustainable damage per round as I can manage to squeeze out of them by using both weapon attacks and spells on their turn when action economy allows. And of course, what might be the best part about this character is that not only will we be able to pump out some respectable damage, but since we're a cleric, we will naturally have some really fantastic support options to boot. Meaning we get to do my favorite thing with a support character. Heal, buff, protect our allies while bringing down the wrath of the righteous upon the unworthy. And so, I proudly present Pathfinder episode number five, the War Priest Cleric. Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for the fantastic character art that he created for the build this week. He does this every week. He never ceases to amaze me with the stuff that he comes up with. This week is no exception. So if you would like to follow Randall on social media or potentially try to reach out to him to see if you could commission him to create some art for your character or even your entire party, I will as always put links in the video description on how to do so. Thanks, Randall. Also, before we jump into the build, I've got something amazing to tell you guys about, so please don't skip. It's a new anthology of 5e-compatible horror adventures called Libris Nocturnum by my friends over at Lunch Break Heroes, who are the sponsor for the video this week. Libris Nocturnum is in Kickstarter right now, and there are only a few days left to back this project. Last I checked, they were this close to hitting their funding goal. They might have even passed it by the time this video releases, but they need your support, and you're gonna want to support them. Libris Nocturnum means the Book of Night in Latin, and the goal for this book is to provide D&D horror enthusiasts with high-quality adventures that their entire table will enjoy. Now, you can run these adventures individually or together in like a long-running campaign, similar, I think, to other recent releases by Wizards of the Coast like Wild Beyond the Witchlight or Candlekeep Mysteries, etc. The world of Libris Nocturnum is a land beset by evil, where nightmares roam free. Your characters are among a handful who dare brave the darkness. The question is, will they push back the night or join the countless others who have been consumed by evil? In each adventure, Libris Nocturnum tackles a new facet of the horror genre, from gothic horror to body horror to cosmic horror and much more. The adventures held within will always give dungeon masters something new, fresh, and most importantly, Terrifying. Inside this book, you will find over 250 pages filled with 13 horror adventures made for characters from levels 1 through 12, where you will attempt to survive a zombie apocalypse, solve bloody mysteries, and break dark curses. There are 13 new settlements, towns, and cities to explore, over 30 new creatures and NPC stat blocks, beautiful custom art by a variety of talented artists. I mean, check it out. It is fantastic, right? And highly detailed maps by Andy D'Amato, aka DM Andy. Now, as with all great Kickstarters, there are fantastic goodies available to those who back it now before the Kickstarter ends, things like a custom dice set, Foundry VTT modules for the campaigns themselves, which is super cool, with stretch goals that will lead to additional adventures, art prints, and special editions of the book, among other things. If you love third-party content creators and or horror settings in your role-playing games, do yourself a favor and go back this project. You will not regret it. I'm putting a link down in the video description, as always, on how to get to the Kickstarter. I'd really appreciate it if you would use that link so that they know I sent you. Anyway, 
big thanks to everyone over at Lunch Break Heroes. Good luck on hitting that funding goal. If you're not there yet, I'm sure you'll get there, and I can't wait to see the finished product. All right, let's jump into the build. All right, we're gonna jump into level one, but really quick, just FYI, I'm not planning on doing a video next week. It's spring break here, and I'm gonna take some time off to hang out with my family. Also, as a reminder, I'm only using the core rule book here for this build with one teeny weeny exception. So if there are other options along the way from other books that might be more optimal, please do tell me about them. But just know that I'm trying to stick to the basics still both for myself and for so many of you who are still kind of learning to walk in Pathfinder here. I hope to be done with that sort of self-imposed restriction soon. Maybe start looking at the advanced player's guide finally. All right, so yes, for our class, we're going cleric. And and as a cleric, our key ability score is wisdom, and we don't get the option to pick something different, which means that our wisdom bumps up to a 12. That's okay. As a character who will, or at least could, be the party's primary healer, high wisdom is a good thing. Now, at level one, clerics have to choose a deity. And here's something that I really appreciate about Pathfinder. They really lean into the whole religion and alignment thing. While I appreciate the direction that D&D 5e seems to be increasingly going to kind of allow you to customize your character in whatever way you think best, with non-religious paladins and alignment often just kind of being flavor and concept without a whole lot of actual mechanics to them, Pathfinder holds a little bit more of an old-school philosophy where clerics worship a god and the god you pick has all kinds of important repercussions for your character. Not just conceptually, but mechanically as well. Your god will determine your alignment. You have to choose an alignment represented by that god. And then each deity has a favored weapon and you get to have trained proficiency in that weapon. That seems especially important for a Gishi war priest, right? More on weapons in a second. You also get to have access to spells from your deity that are often not otherwise listed on the divine spell list, which is the only spell list that clerics by default get access to. This makes picking your deity incredibly important, and I kind of love that, honestly. Finally, your deity comes with an anathema, a ban, or something prohibited by your god. Doing things that are anathema to your deity can also have repercussions for your character. It's a little bit loosey-goosey here, and your GM will ultimately be the one to decide when you've done too many, like, bad things. But once you have, you lose the magical abilities that come from your connection to your deity until you perform a complicated atone ritual. That frankly, is kind of awesome. I like having consequences to my actions in my role-playing games. Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, as for the deity I would like to choose, this is going to be the one place where my build is going outside of the core rulebook, because I want to worship Ragathiel. It's a deity that comes from the Gods and Magic book. Ragathiel is sort of a god of knights, with a K. They are the god of chivalry, duty, and vengeance, which plays perfectly into the concept of this character I'm creating who, as a war priest, 
definitely has a knightly, like, inquisitor, paladin kind of feel to them, right? I love Ragathiel here as well because their favorite weapon is the Bastard Sword. And I'm also a big fan of the spells we get access to if we choose them as our deity. More on those in a second, but big thanks and shout out to my friend Sean for this deity recommendation. He works with Ronald, uh, the rules lawyer. Anyway, if you're stuck with the core rulebook for deity selection, I'd probably go Gorum here instead. But that would mean that you'd be chaotic neutral at best, or chaotic evil. Gorum is the only non-evil deity in the core rulebook with a favored weapon that's a d12 weapon. It's a great sword, And that kind of annoys me, actually. It's like, why aren't there any good deities who like big, chonky, two-handed weapons? Only evil clerics want to hit as hard as they can? Lame. Anyway, for the rest of this build, I'm assuming that we were able to take Ragathiel as our deity. You'll have to make some minor adjustments if you can't. Also, Ragathiel's anathema is cowering from combat, forgiving those who have irreparably sinned, or leaving allies unwillingly in darkness. So don't do those things. One really cool feature that clerics get at level 1 is Divine Font. This tells us that we get additional spell slots to cast either Heal, which is kind of the equivalent of like Cure Wounds in Pathfinder, but actually better, or Harm, which is sort of like an Inflict Wounds equivalent. The number of these extra spell slots we get are equal to one plus our Charisma modifier, for some odd reason. Pathfinder really doesn't want you to be sad, it seems, single ability score dependent. Yeah. That's okay. Now, these spell slots are always of the highest level spell slot we have access to, which is awesome, but they can only be used for either harm or heal, and which spell you get to cast, harm or heal, is dependent upon your deity, because they are going to indicate what their divine font is. Now, Ragathiel has both the harm and heal font, which is great, but I think I would still choose heal. Harm just doesn't do a ton of damage, honestly, and we'll have better ways to get both sustained and burst damage if we really need it. So yes, my plan with this character is to be the party's like main healer, even though I'm hoping to do as much damage in my turn as possible most of the time. Similarly, I suppose to the alchemist build that I did for D&D uh, last week, and I don't have any more cards to link to it. Now, the heal spell is pretty great, and the fact that we get extra uses of it every day is really amazing. At first level, it heals 1d8 hit points or interestingly, damages undead for 1d8 as well, though they get to make a saving throw against it. There are also some cool ways to enhance the heal spell if you take more actions to cast it. If you use a single action to cast it, just sort of like a quick uttered prayer when you're under fire in the middle of combat, it has a range of touch and only a verbal component. If you take two actions to cast it, it takes on the verbal and somatic components and has a range of 30 feet now, plus it restores eight extra hit points. Amazing. Best of all, you can use all three of your actions to cast this spell. If you do, it takes on a material component as well as somatic and verbal, but then you basically shoot out like an explosion of healing energy that emanates out to 30 feet from you in all directions. That said, it's going to heal all living creatures in that area, even enemies potentially, and harms all undead in the area as well. Man, that is just such a cool image, and I hope you get to do this somewhat regularly to really turn the 
tide of the battle for your party. The cleric subclass is called their doctrine, and the core rulebook only has two choices for your doctrine. The cloistered cleric, which is more of a spellcasting focused cleric, and the war priest, which, as I've said, is what we're going with. Your chosen doctrine gives you features at 1st, 3rd, 7th, 11th, 15th, and 19th levels. The first doctrine we receive as a war priest is training in light and medium armor, expert proficiency in fortitude saves, nice, and the shield block general feat, which is great if we were planning on using a shield, which we're not though you totally could and wouldn't suffer a huge hit to your damage. I'm just trying to explore the limits of what's possible damage-wise as usual, so I am building, yes, for a two-handed weapon. As for the skills that we get trained proficiency with, we get religion for free as a cleric, and then our deity dictates another. Regathiel gives us intimidation, which is potentially useful to try and demoralize enemies and make them afraid, as I tried to make use of in my thief build a few weeks ago. And we are going to have a decent charisma score, actually, so that's not wasted. As for the other two skills that we get to pick here, I think I'd take athletics since we have a good strength score, meaning tripping and shoving and grappling enemies are things we could potentially be pretty successful at doing on this character. And jumping and climbing and things always seems to come in handy in Pathfinder and you need a good athletic score to do those things, so makes sense to me. I think then I'd probably take nature as we will have a good wisdom score to augment that, and nature seems to come up fairly often for recall knowledge checks, among other things. For our ancestry, our race, yeah, I'm gonna go human, but not for the reason that you're probably thinking. We get to bump two ability scores with our ancestry, right, and I'm gonna take strength to 12 and then charisma to 12. We want a good charisma, both so that we can cast heal more often during the day and for our archetype or multi-classing that we're gonna be doing next level. As for our heritage or human subrace, I want to go with half-orc on this character, which I haven't done yet. I don't see this as strictly necessary, but I do really love the image of a half-orc cleric who worships the god of vengeance and is both able to like let out all their inner rage on the battlefield, but who then also has a gentler or more protective side and wants to care for and defend their allies too. Half-orcs get low-light vision, which will help you see better in dim light, at least. And then we get to choose an ancestry feat at level one, and I want to take adapted cantrip, and it's actually the main reason I wanted to go with human for my ancestry. Adapted cantrip is, I think, the only way for us to get a cantrip from another spell list other than the divine spell list and use our wisdom modifier when we cast it. Clerics have some decent damage cantrips, most notably Chill Touch, but I think the best damaging cantrip in the game, at least from the core rulebook, is probably Electric Arc. And it's an arcane cantrip, meaning we can't get it unless we get creative. And yes, I want to use cantrips here because I'm going for sustained damage, right? I want to be as resource-free as I can when I'm hitting enemies with my attacks and spells every round. Adapted Cantrip lets us learn a cantrip outside of our magical tradition and treat it as a cantrip of our magical tradition. So yes, that means we can learn Electric Arc from the Arcane spell list and then cast it using our Wisdom modifier, as opposed to our Charisma modifier if we, say, learned this cantrip as an innate spell, if we took a different ancestry, something like that. Electric Arc is fantastic. It takes two actions to cast, targets one enemy within 30 feet, and then can leap to a second enemy within 30 feet, and does 1d4 electricity damage 
plus our wisdom modifier to both of them. It scales by 1d4 of damage for every additional spell level you get access to. And yeah, I'm going to plan on using this throughout our career for sustained damage purposes, saving our spell slots for healing, buffing, and maybe once in a while potentially some burst damage too. For our background, as always, it doesn't matter too much what we pick so long as we get something that will let us bump either strength or wisdom because yes, we're going to bump both of those to 14 here. I'm going to take the field medic background since it really fits my concept of this character being someone in the thick of the fight but who's also trying to patch up their allies and I really like the skill feat that it offers. With field medic we get training in the medicine skill and the warfare lore skill and then learn the battle medic skill feat. Alright so yes this is the build where I'm finally going to dive in a little deeper to the awesomeness that is treat wounds in Pathfinder. As a reminder Treat Wounds is probably the main way that players heal up between combat encounters, as opposed to spending hit dice during a short rest in D&D, right? Someone who is trained in medicine and has healer's tools can take 10 minutes, typically, to try and heal themselves or an ally. You have to make a DC 15 medicine check to do so, and if you succeed, you heal for 2d8 hit points and remove the wounded condition if your target has it. That's what you get after you've dropped to zero hit points, remember. Now, you can only treat wounds once per hour per person. Critical successes heal double, and you can raise the DC of the check when you get higher training proficiency, so expert, master, etc., in order to heal for even more. You are the main healer in your party. And while yes, that means that you'll often be using healing spells, especially in combat, to patch your allies up or bring them back from the brink of death, the battle medicine skill feat that we get here is another great way to help us heal in combat, since it lets you treat wounds as a single action instead of over 10 minutes. You can only use battle medicine once per day per target, but it's still a really nice thing to have in a pinch to save your spell slots or use when you're out of spell slots, right? For our final four free ability boosts we get at level one, let's take Wisdom to 16, Strength to 16, Charisma to 14, and Constitution to 12. Really wish I could have gotten Strength to 18 for damage purposes, but it's impossible without it being an option as our class's key ability score. No worries, I really like where we're at. As for the equipment I want to start out with here at level 1, as a war priest, again, we're proficient in medium armor, so let's buy some chainmail, a holy symbol for spellcasting, some healer's tools for treat wounds, and finally, yes, my favorite of all swords, the bastard sword. I made use of this in my Magus build last month, and I still really love it. With a bastard sword, you can either use one hand to attack for 1d8 of damage, or in true hand and a half style, use two hands to do 1d12 damage with it. I plan on foregoing my defenses, as I've said, and using two hands, but feel free to pick up a shield and just go d8 instead. Like I say, the damage difference isn't that huge. But I kind of also don't plan on often having an action available most turns to raise a shield. And don't forget, unlike in D&D, just having a shield doesn't actually do you much good in Pathfinder. You have to take an action to raise it to increase your AC and potentially shield block, right? Finally, then at level one we need to pick which cleric spells we're going to have prepared. We get five cantrips and two first level spells. For the cantrips we have to go electric arc and then I think I'd take guidance which takes an action to cast and lets you add a plus one status bonus to the attack, perception, save, or skill check of a target 
before the start of your next turn. I like light to help out those of us without dark vision. Shield is a really strong option, especially for those of us not using an actual shield to spend an action when we need to, to raise a magical shield with a hardness of five, giving us a plus one to our armor class. So not quite as good as a regular shield, but then it lets us kind of have our cake and eat it too, in that we get to use a two-handed weapon, but we can throw up shield once in a while if it's really important to do so, right? Also, it lets us take advantage of that shield block reaction that we've got. Though, after using shield block with the shield spell, we can't cast the spell again for 10 minutes. Anyway, I think it's a good option. Finally, I think I'd take the stabilized cantrip, which doesn't heal right away, but at least prevents a creature from bleeding out if they're unconscious. And then when we cast it on our allies next turn, they do get to recover one HP and can take their turn normally, assuming of course they didn't get hit in the meantime. The rules do state that you should probably make this little bit of healing an optional rule, but it's a good spell to have regardless. As for the first level spells that I want, there are a few good ones to choose from. Rogathiel gives us access to True Strike, which essentially gives us advantage on our next hit. This turn we get to roll two d20s to see if we hit instead of one, and that's good, but I'm not sure if it's really worth the spell on this character. Magic Weapon is awesome until we get magic weapons anyway, giving our weapons a plus one to hit and an extra die of damage. I think I'd definitely use it early on. Beyond that, Bless is good, though not nearly as good as it is in D&D, I think. It gives us and our allies within five feet a plus one status bonus to hit. It lasts for a minute, and interestingly, on your turn, you can spend an action to increase the aura to 10 feet, and then another action on the next turn to 15 feet, etc., which potentially can be really cool. Every plus one matters. Finally, for first level spells, I also really like fear in that it can cause enemies to be frightened, and as we've already explored in other videos, that can be really powerful. We would have a decent chance at intimidating instead if we wanted, but Fear for this character feels a little more reliable. Plus, if they fail their save against it, it puts them at fear two, as opposed to fear one that Intimidate would typically do on a regular success. So, I don't know, good option. At level two, we get to choose our first cleric feat, and I want Emblazon Armament. It's a second level feat, and basically lets us etch a sacred image into, for us, our bastard sword letting that sword then act as a holy symbol that can then fulfill the material components of our spells so that we don't need to spend an action to grab a holy symbol if we were to cast a spell that required material components. To be fair, in Pathfinder, there aren't a ton of spells that require material components. Most of the ones that do are three action spells. But if we didn't have this feat and we did want to cast Heal, for example, with all three actions for that awesome 30-foot burst of holy light, we'd have to grab our holy symbol on one turn and then cast the spell with all three actions the next turn. And that kind of sucks. Oh, also, this gives us a plus one status bonus to damage with our weapons. And that's sort of the main reason why I really wanted it. For our skill feat here that we get at level two, I think the most important medicine feat for us to grab is continual recovery. This allows us to treat wounds on someone every 10 minutes instead of once per hour. And that means that so long as you're not being constantly bombarded by enemies every few minutes, 
Healing yourself and your allies back to full health between combat encounters just got a whole lot easier and much less time consuming. Ronald, the rules lawyer, tells me that the difficulty scaling in Pathfinder 2e just kind of assumes that everyone will be at full health when combat begins. I wonder if that's your experience. For those of you who have played a lot of PF2, let me know in the comments. And then, yes, at level two, I am assuming, as always, that we are playing with the free archetype rule that the majority of Pathfinder tables seem to play with. And this means that we get our free archetype feat here. And for this character, I want to take, I want to take the champion dedication. The champion is essentially the holy knight or paladin class of Pathfinder, right? And it just fits perfectly for us, thematically. It's not actually going to do a whole lot for our sustained damage, but it does provide some really nice support and defensive options. First up, we get training in heavy armor. Since our dexterity bonus is plus zero, that's a fantastic thing. I hope you can afford plate mail at this point. It's only 30 gold in Pathfinder, so not too expensive, and will definitely be the best thing we can do for our survivability here. And yeah, it does mean that even though we meet the strength requirement, we'd still have a minus five move speed penalty, which means we'd only have a move speed of 20 feet, and that's kind of a bummer. But c'est la vie, I want AC. <laughs> That's so dumb. We also basically get training in two more skills of our choice here. Go ahead and PYF, pick your favorites. And then we get to choose a deity and a champion's cause, which is the champion subclass. I'm just gonna go ahead and stick with Ragathiel here. Trying to serve two gods feels both like asking for trouble. I don't really wanna cause a conflict here. I love both of you equally, I promise. And overly complicated not too interested in taking on additional anathemas, thanks. Since Regathiel is lawful good, that means our cause will be, yes, the paladin cause. Regular champions get all sorts of benefits from taking this cause. We only get the champion's code and no other benefits for now. The paladin's code, which we must abide by, is to act with honor, never taking advantage of others, lying or cheating, and we must respect lawful authority. We're rule followers. I hope you're okay with that. At level three, we get our first general feat, and I think I would take fleet here, especially assuming that we're wearing plate armor now because fleet increases our move speed by five so that we're at least back to the 25 feet of move speed that we were at originally, right? We also get our second doctrine from our war priest subclass here. At this level, that just means we're trained in all martial weapons. That could potentially be nice for the next few levels at least if we find something that we like better than our bastard sword. Just know that eventually we'll get to expert training with that bastard sword, but not with other martial weapons. So don't get too attached to something else. We get a skill increase at level three, and I'm definitely taking medicine to expert training here, meaning we would have an even better chance of succeeding on those medicine and treat wounds checks. And then at level three, we get second level cleric spells. I think from this point on, I'm just gonna recommend a couple that I think seem particularly cool and useful. I'm definitely not an expert on all of the available spells in Pathfinder, even just looking at the core rulebook. So Dispel Magic feels like a must have to me. It's just always good to be able to get rid of bad enemy magic. I might also take either Sea Invisibility or Fairy Fire, which 
is much weaker than its D&D counterpart and basically just prohibits affected enemies from benefiting from invisibility. A third good option I think would be resist energy which gives a target resistance to one type of energy damage fire, electricity, acid, cold, or sonic for 10 minutes. Remember how resistance works in Pathfinder. You subtract the flat resistance number from the total damage done. In this case it's five resistance but you can upcast the spell for bigger numbers and even additional targets. I'd love to take some restoration-like spells as a main healer character, but those can be a little frustrating here. You don't really get a very good catch-all, remove lots of bad conditions spell here, like Lesser Restoration, for example, in D&D. The Restoration spell in Pathfinder might be an exception, but it still feels a little limited to me. Maybe a Cure-All spell option would be too powerful, but there are just so many conditions in Pathfinder, which is something that I actually like, but due to the way that you have to choose which spells you're going to prepare at the beginning of the day as a cleric and don't just get access to all of your spells known all of the time, it can make things a little tricky if you're trying to be a support character to guess if you're going to need remove fear or remove paralysis or restore senses if someone becomes blinded, etc. If you guess wrong and prepare something that you don't ever need, that's a real bummer. I think for that reason I'd probably avoid taking any of those kind of restorative type spells unless you felt really confident that you were going to be going up against an enemy that was going to inflict a particular condition. At level 4 we get another cleric feat and instead of taking any of the 4th level feats, none of which I really loved to be honest, including, believe it or not, channel smite, which is kind of like divine smite in D&D but a little weaker. I don't know. If I were building for burst damage, I'd definitely take it, but it's just not what I really want for this build. Plus, we need another feat that is going to be important for this build later, so yes, what we're going to take instead is a first level cleric feat, Domain Initiate. This feat tells us that we can learn a focus spell from one of our deity's domains. Say what? Okay, let me back up. Each deity has a number of associated domains, and each of those have a couple of focus spells tied to them. We don't just get access to those focus spells for free, we have to take feats for them, but with this feat we can choose one. Regathiel has the Destruction, Duty, Fire, and Zeal domains, and I'm going to pick Destruction, which means we get the Cry of Destruction focus spell. To cast it, we spend a focus point, which remember we can recover by spending 10 minutes to refocus, so out of combat, kind of like a short rest. It takes two actions to cast and does 1d8 sonic damage, and that's important, in a 15-foot cone, barring a fortitude save. It's not a ton of damage, but it does scale by 1d8 per heightened spell level, so that's 2d8 for us now, 3d8 next level. And those d8s bump up to d12s if we've hit an enemy with a strike this turn. So if we hit them with our bastard sword and then focus spell to do this to catch a few enemies and do some damage to the enemy that we hit with a strike it would do 3d12. That's not bad. It's a nice little burst in a small area of effect option might help us clear out some of those minion-y, swarmy type encounters, right? For our skill feed that we get at this level, I want to take Ward Medic, which is amazing and lets us treat wounds on up to two targets at a time instead of just one, which will really reduce our downtime that much further before we've got our entire party patched back up to full health. Once we're a master in medicine, we can do four at a time. 
so good. And I think these three skill feats, Battle Medicine, Continual Recovery, and Ward Medic, are sort of the trifecta of medicine skill feats in Pathfinder that just really make you a phenomenal non-magical healer. And I kind of think that no party, whether they have a cleric or not, should leave home without at least one character having a great medicine skill and these feats. It's really going to help ensure that your entire party is at full health for just about every single combat encounter. As for our champion archetype feat at level four, I say we grab healing touch. It gives us the devotion spell for our champion cause, which for paladins and other good champions is lay on hands. Devotion spells are also focus spells. They cost a focus point. But Lay on Hands is really, really strong. It takes an action to cast and then heals for six flat hit points. Your target also gains a plus two status bonus to their armor class for a round, and that's nice. It also scales by six hit points for each spell level you have, so 12 flat healing for us at the moment, 18 next level. And it can potentially harm undead. So the thing is, Lay on Hands is great in combat, sure. Helps us save on our spell slots if you've already used battle medicine on that ally today, but even better, Outside of combat, you could lay on hands, refocus for 10 minutes, lay on hands, rinse, repeat. Of course, with our skill feats and medicine training, treat wounds is a lot more efficient, but if you somehow fail your treat wounds check on an ally, this is a really nice potential backup plan. You are the ultimate medic at this point, who also packs a pretty mean punch. At level five, we get four ability boosts. Woohoo! Let's go ahead and bump Strength to 18, Wisdom to 18, Charisma to 16, and Constitution to 14. I really love having three extra third level spell slots to cast Heal with right now with our 16 Charisma. It's kind of amazing. We also get Alertness at this level, which raises our Perception rank to Expert. Very nice. And then we get an Ancestry feat, and I want to take Orc Ferocity. It's similar to what Half-Orcs get in D&D, telling us that if we would be reduced to zero hit points, we can use our reaction to instead be reduced to one hit point. Now, this does increase our wounded condition by one, as though we had gone down to zero and then recovered, and we can only use it once per day. But it is a really fun way to stay on our feet when we'd otherwise go down, and sometimes it might just be the difference between life and death. We also get a skill increase at level five, and I think I would probably bump athletics to expert. I'm gonna say either that or intimidation, depending on which we find ourselves using more often, but athletics just felt a little more generally useful to me. As for the third level spells that we get at fifth level, I'm gonna highlight a couple that I like. Heroism is potentially a nice buff. It's two actions to cast, but gives a target plus one status bonus to attacks, perception checks, skill checks, and saving throws. So kind of like a stronger version of the Bless spell, though it's only on one target. Also, Vampiric Touch can be a nice way to do some burst damage and heal ourselves. It deals 66 damage, barring a fortitude save, and then we gain half of the damage that we deal in temporary hit points. The most important spell for us at this level, however, comes to us courtesy of our benevolent, virtuous, and vindictive deity, the Haste spell. I also enjoyed using this spell on my Magus build, and it is just a really potent spell. And this is another main reason that I wanted to take Rogathiel as our deity. It takes two actions to cast, lasts for one minute, and lets us take one additional action per turn, though that action can only be used to strike or stride. And yeah, that is absolutely 
sufficient for our needs, as we were wanting to be doing both of those things pretty much every turn. I mean, heck, this would mean that we could make a weapon attack and still get off a three action heal on our turn. And that's just awesome. All right, at level five, it's time for our first damage, damage report. report. So let's go over what I'm assuming combat looks like for us at this level. First off, yes, I'm going to assume that we've got both the haste spell and the bless spell active on ourselves. I'd probably start with haste since it gives us an extra action and then move on to bless round two since it gives our entire party potentially that plus one to hit. We are here to support and do damage, so I think it's worth casting these spells. We would still be able to make weapon attacks on those turns, right? So it's not like we're doing nothing but just sitting there and buffing. But then on subsequent rounds, yes, I'm going to assume that we'd be making two weapon strikes with our bastard sword in two hands, right? The second strike with a minus five to hit, unfortunately, for 2d12 plus five damage each, thanks to our strength modifier and our blazoned weapon. And then with our last two actions, we'd cast Electric Arc to hit two targets for 3d4 plus 4 for our Wisdom modifier, each target. Now, 3d4 plus 4 might not seem like a ton of damage, and you might be wondering if it would really be worth using two actions to cast this spell every turn when we can. I'd argue that it is, for two reasons. One, because additional attacks this turn would be made at a minus 10 to hit, and honestly, that is just almost never going to hit our enemy. But two, don't forget that most spells, even cantrips, do half damage on a successful enemy save. That's really, really good for us. Plus, we're a gish. Don't forget, we want to be casting spells and making weapon attacks. It's who we are. Now, as a reminder, I assume that we've got a plus one to hit and an extra die of damage on our weapon thanks to the automatic progression table that serves to just replicate what we could reasonably expect to have for magic weapons at this level. I also am assuming that the enemy is flat-footed, giving them a minus two to their armor class, though I appreciate that won't always be the case. And thus, if everything hit, we would do 4d12 plus 6d4 plus 18 total damage in a round where we didn't have to move up to our target, though admittedly, a little bit of that damage would be to a second target getting hit by electric arc, right? So this is mostly single target damage, but not all. Assuming all of the above then, if we were fighting low enemies, both in armor class and in reflex save at this level, which is a 19 AC and a plus 9 to their save, we would on average do 52 damage per round. And versus high enemies, which is a 22 armor class and a plus 15 to their saves, we would do 39 DPR. And compared to other builds that I've done to date, that is really, really close to every other build but the Thief, within a point or two of damage. And considering that we're also the world's greatest medic with some really nice healing and buffing options at our disposal, that feels fantastic. I love this Cleric Gish. Let's see where we can take it from here. All right, at level six, we get another Cleric feat, and I'm a little bit torn on what to take here. I think I would probably take Divine Weapon. It's not anything amazing, but it lets us add a little bit of damage to our weapon as a free action. The problem is you can only do this if you have cast a spell with one of your spell slots, and it's only a D4 of extra damage, on this turn, though you can bump it to a d6 if you choose a damage type associated with your deity's alignment. So for us, that would be good damage or lawful damage, right? Useful only against evil and chaotic enemies, respectively. Still, 
It makes me feel a little less bad about casting haste on round one and bless on round two because at least the weapon attacks that we do make on those rounds would potentially get a little bump to their damage, yeah? Not to mention a little damage bump on rounds that were, say, casting the heal spell, too. For our skill feat here, let's take the last medicine skill feat available to us from the core rulebook, until level 15 anyway, which we're not gonna get to. Robust recovery. So if a creature is poisoned or diseased, you can use your medicine skill to try to help cure them. You make a medicine skill check, and if you're successful, the ally gets a bonus to their next save against the disease or the poison. The robust recovery skill feat basically lets you increase that bonus if you're successful on your check. And if the patient then succeeds on their check, it's automatically a critical success. I'm still not sure how often poison and disease come up during most Pathfinder games, but but when they do, this is going to be nice to have, and if you really are thinking of yourself as the main healer in your party, you ought to take it. As for our champion archetype feat here at level 6, I want to take champion's reaction, and this might be the best thing we get from the champion archetype. Champion's reaction kind of gives us the ability to make an attack of opportunity. It's a little different. As a paladin, we get retributive strike, which tells us that if an enemy damages an ally, and both that enemy and that ally are within 15 feet of us, we can use our reaction to give an ally resistance to all of that incoming damage equal to 2 plus our level. So that's saving them from 8 damage right now. Not bad. Better yet, we then get to make a strike against the enemy if they are within melee reach. And of course, since this happens on the enemy's turn, we don't have any multi-attack penalty to deal with, right? That's a really great feat for both support and offense, and I love it. At level 7, we get another general feat, and I want to go with boring old numbers and just take toughness. This gives us one more hit point per level and decreases the DC of our recovery checks, or death saves, right, by one. It's not a ton, but we'll take it. We get a skill increase at level 7 too, and at this level we can bump something to master if we want, and we want. So yeah, let's take medicine to master to help us succeed on those treat wounds checks especially, and even let us raise the DC to 20 if we want to heal for 10 extra hit points when we treat wounds. I mean, at this level, our medicine skill is a plus 15. That's an auto success on a regular treat wounds, and we only need to roll a 5 or better to hit that tougher 20. Super cool. We also get our third Warpriest Doctrine at level 7, and that means we get expert proficiency with our Bastard Sword. It comes a couple levels later than full martial characters get expert proficiency with weapons, but waiting just two additional levels isn't so bad considering how great of a support we are. But yeah, at this point we want to make sure that we're using that Bastard Sword and not some other unworthy martial weapon. Be a true follower of Ragathiel. A true bastard. We also get the critical specialization effect with that bastard sword, meaning that if we crit on an enemy, they are flat-footed until the start of our next turn. So all the more reason to be a bastard. I just really like saying bastard. Bastard. As for the fourth level spells we get at level 7, the two I will highlight here are first, Airwalk. This is sort of like a poor man's fly spell, which 
clerics don't get access to typically, but in one way, it's kind of better. It lets you walk on air as though it were solid ground, like a true holy person would, I think. And yes, even allows you to move vertically, though at no steeper an angle than 45 degrees. Still, it should be sufficient for most aerial combats, among other things. And also, the fly spell has this annoying little rule tied to it. In Pathfinder, if you're flying, you have to spend one of your actions to use the fly action. If you don't, and you're airborne at the end of your turn, you fall. Ouch. No such action tax for airwalk, so fly. Airwalk lasts five minutes. Another great option, I think, is Divine Wrath. It does damage similar to a third level fireball, anyway, 4d10, in a fireball-like area of effect, a 20-foot burst. You choose either lawful or good damage, as per our deity's alignment, and barring a fortitude save, the enemies take the damage so long as they are of opposite alignment, of course. I figure most of the time you should be reliably fighting evil or chaotic enemies at most tables and most campaigns, so you should get a fair bit of use out of this if and when you needed it. Though it might not be a bad idea to do a recall knowledge check beforehand just to be safe and see if you can figure out what their alignment is. One really great thing about the spell though is that if, say, you choose good for the damage type, and your allies within the blast area are of good alignment, whether lawful or chaotic, doesn't matter, they're unaffected. If they're neutral, and thus don't match or oppose the alignment, then anything hit by it just treats their saving throw as one degree better. So failures are successes, successes are critical successes, etc. Oh, also, if they fail, they take full damage and are sickened one meaning all checks and DCs are lowered by one, and it doesn't just automatically go away either, like if you're frightened, they have to succeed on another check against your DC to get rid of it. And crit fails on this spell are sickened two and slowed one, meaning one fewer action next turn, right? All in all, a really solid area of effect and potential debuff spell that might not even hurt your friends that get caught in its blast. At level 8, we get another cleric feat, and I want emblazon energy. It's just a nice little damage bump. It says that when we emblazon our weapon, like we've been doing, right, etching our holy symbol into it, instead of having it do just one extra damage, we can have it do 1d4 of either cold, electric, fire, acid, or sonic damage. And better yet, if we have a domain spell that does one of those damage types, and we do, remember, our Cry of Destruction domain spell does sonic damage. Then we can bump that damage up to an extra d6 of damage every time we hit with it. Not bad. As for the skill feat that we get at this level, I'm just going to say pick your favorite. Like I've said, the only other medicine-related feat in the core rulebook, Legendary Medic, isn't available to us until level 15, so go ahead and PYF here. Or if you have access to other books outside of the core rulebook, go ahead and grab Risky Surgery or Advanced First Aid or whatever. For the champion archetype that we get here, I want to take Basic Devotion, which gives us a first or second level champion feat, for which we'll be taking Ranged Reprisal. This tells us that, as a paladin, if Retributive Strike gets triggered but the enemy is 10 feet away from us instead of right next to us in melee range, we can step 5 feet first and then make a strike. I love that so much. Makes me feel like we're going to be using that reaction to deal damage a lot more often. Not to mention 
better position ourselves, maybe even get into flanking position. At level 9, we get an Ancestry feat, and I think I'd probably just take General Training. It's available to humans and gives us another General feat. And so then, yeah, I would just take the Incredible Initiative General feat. This just gives us a plus 2 to all of our initiative rolls, and going before your enemies is pretty much always a good thing especially if you have lots of buffs to be casting early on in the combat, right? We also get Resolve at level 9, which increases our will saves to Master and tells us that when we succeed on a will save, it's automatically a critical success. It's like evasion for wisdom saves. I love it. For the skill increase that we get at this level, I think I'd probably bump Athletics to Master. Go another route if you want, it just seems the most useful to me. And then yes, we get 5th level spells here. So. Let's discuss three favorites. Breath of Life feels the most important as the party's main healer. It tells us that when an ally would die, they've failed their final death save, right? Right before they die, we can use our reaction to heal them for 4d8 plus our wisdom modifier and restore them to life. As I've said before, Pathfinder 2e can be a little more hardcore than D&D 5e. Dropping to zero hit points is a lot more punishing. Death saves are slightly scarier, and resurrection is a lot tougher to come by. This spell is sort of the first pseudo-resurrection ability we get access to. You kind of have to take it, I think, though always preparing it might feel like a heavy cost. Having it in a pinch when you really need it is a big deal. One important note here, though, it doesn't work if your ally died from a disintegrate or death effect. Drop Dead is another really cool and useful spell. It tells us that when an ally is hit, you cast it also with your reaction, and then an illusion of them appears to drop down dead, but your ally actually just goes invisible. So cool. Now, if that ally uses a hostile action, they become visible. And you also have to sustain the spell to keep it going. That means you spend an action every turn to sustain it, right? But I assume that most of the time, you would heal that invisible ally back up, and then they would be right back into the fight on their next turn anyway. So. I'm not too worried about the sustain cost. Finally, Prying Eye is kind of cheating. It summons an invisible floating eye that you can see through and just send it out through the dungeon to scout everything out. Cheater. At level 10, we get more ability boosts, first of all, so let's do what we've been doing and just bump Strength to 19, Wisdom to 19, Charisma to 18, and Constitution to 16. You might want to consider bumping Dexterity here instead of maybe like Charisma, because at 13th level, our training with medium armor increases to expert, which means medium armor would give us a higher AC than plate, which we're just going to be stuck at trained proficiency with. And that medium armor is going to be even better with just a plus one dexterity mod. Plus, higher dex would be nice for our reflex saves, which have been pretty paltry thus far. For our final cleric feat at level 10, I'm really torn between Channeled Sucker or Replenishment of War. Really quickly, Channeled Sucker lets us sacrifice one of our heal spells to cast one of the many Remove Bad Condition spells that I was complaining about earlier. Remove Disease, 
remove curse, remove paralysis, or the restoration spell. So now we would potentially finally have our catch-all option for bad conditions, and that feels pretty important as a main healer. But replenishment of war is definitely the more gishy option. It tells us that when we damage an enemy with our bastard sword, we get half our health in temporary hit points. We could get these every single turn. Five free temporary hit points every turn feels pretty amazing and would definitely help us go toe to toe with the bad guys, let us stay in the fight a lot more reliably. By level 10, you're gonna have a better idea which of these feats you're gonna want more. For the skill feat we get here, again, pick your favorite. And then for our final champion archetype, let's take advanced devotion to get another champion feat, this time equal to half our level. Or for us here, a level four champion feat. I would wanna take Aura of Courage so that I can feel like a true paladin. Aura of Courage just automatically reduces our frightened condition by one whenever we become frightened. And at the end of our turn, when we would then reduce our frightened condition by one more, we do the same for our allies that are within 15 feet. Again, frightened can be pretty dang punishing in Pathfinder. It makes everything we do a little bit worse. So being able to almost ignore it for ourselves and really help out our allies too is fantastic. For our final damage report here at level 10, since last check, we've added a d6 to our weapon attacks, thanks to emblazoned energy, plus two to hit with our bastard sword from expert training, another plus one to hit from the automatic bonus progression chart, another 2d4 per target from Electric Arc, since we have fifth level spells now, plus a ton of fantastic defensive support and even burst damage options to boot. And thus, against low enemies here, with a 27 AC and a plus 16 to their saving throw, we would on average do 70 damage per round. And against high enemies, with a 30 AC and a plus 22 to their saves, we would do 51 DPR on average. And that, is exactly the same as our flirty ranger that we did a couple of weeks ago, which again keeps us pretty much in line with every other Pathfinder build that I've done so far except the thief, but with much stronger support than any character I've built so far by a mile. So let's go over final thoughts. On the one hand, yes. I think we're all kind of noticing a trend here that shouldn't be too surprising to any Pathfinder veterans out there anyway, and it's that when people say the math in Pathfinder is tight, they mean it. It is tight. Surprisingly so, in fact. Now, a lot of people will see this as a good thing. Making greater balance between classes and builds frees you up to make more and different choices for how you build your character without worrying quite so much about whether or not they're going to be competitive on a damage meter or whatever, right? A lot of people, on the other hand, might see this as a little discouraging. I can see how it might feel to some like, if the choices I make aren't gonna really matter that much, mechanics-wise, and my character is just gonna be competitive and pretty viable almost no matter what choice I make, then that kind of takes the fun out of choosing, right? That said, I don't want to argue that choices here don't matter. Sure, with one exception, every Pathfinder character I've created for sustained damage thus far does almost identical damage to one another. But keep in mind, I've been doing everything in my power 
to optimize these characters for damage. I'm scouring classes and feats and equipment and archetypes and spells to try to piece together the hardest hitting thing I can make. And only upon doing that are the numbers so close to one another. I could have made a war priest who used a shield and a one-handed weapon, taken a different god so we wouldn't have access to haste, might have taken feats other than emblazoned energy, etc, etc. And in that case, we might have had better survivability or utility or even support capabilities, but not done quite as much damage. Now, admittedly, the difference in damage that that version of this character would have had wouldn't be huge but it would be significant. So even though the damage output of this character feels super on par with other characters I've created, I think I'd probably argue that they are the most powerful character I've done to date. Really fantastic sustained damage with the inherent fun of making attacks and casting spells every turn, but then also bringing a whole slew of support, healing, and buffing options that my other builds so far just have not brought. That's pretty remarkable. And it kind of makes me feel like the next character I play in Pathfinder is probably going to be a war priest. So anyway, that's the build for the week. I hope you really enjoyed it. I had a blast putting it together. I hope you know how much I love you guys. You're the best. Thanks so much for all that you do for me, for the channel. Those things are so helpful. I hope that you have a really great day and a fantastic week and that you be good and kind and stay safe and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. spoke with a tongue of angels I have held the hand of a devil it was warm in the night I was cold as a stone mm -hmm. but I still haven't found what I'm looking for Seemed fitting if I were doing a war priest to do like the most gospely U2 song, I think, that they probably ever put out, at least their most famous one. And. <laughs> oh, the hair, it is getting so big. Or, uh, don't even say any of that. I think I already said that, so don't say that. Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for, oh, I haven't even told Randall about this character yet. <laughs> Better get on that.